0: We return again this morning to the prophecy of Zephaniah, this morning to the third chapter. In chapter 3, the chapter opens with a sharp reproof of Jerusalem for her sins. There's a proclamation of God's judgment. But then there's an exhortation to wait for the restoration of Israel and to rejoice for their salvation by God. I'm going to take up reading this morning at verse 8. Zephaniah 3, verse 8, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad, and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy, the King of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, Let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. I call your attention this morning to Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. Suddenly, beloved, the faithfulness of our God breaks out as the sun arises over the eastern horizon at the break of day. To His people, living in the midst of darkness and in the shadow of death, Jehovah mercifully appears with the light of the Gospel. He shines that light upon them in all its brilliance, that they might praise Him in the certain conviction that salvation is theirs. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. That's God's Word to us, the church of Jesus Christ, throughout the ages. After this past week of self-examination, having prepared properly to partake of the Lord's Supper presently, do you belong to those who are afflicted in their hearts because of sin? Do you belong to those who are the poor in spirit? Do you belong to the meek who love the Lord and humble themselves before His Word? Do you belong to those who hear the voice of Jehovah of hosts calling you to Himself in repentance and faith? Then to you comes the unspeakably blessed promise of the text that we consider this morning. Do not fear. Glad songs of victory are yours in Christ Jesus. Jehovah your God is in your midst though Satan and his host continue to press on for a time and give us many hardships and much grief, persevere in the battle of faith. God's promise shall not fail. And it is my joy to call your attention this morning to that promise of God as we focus on verse 17 of Zephaniah 3. And in the light of this Gospel, approach God the Lord's table presently. So I take as my theme this morning Jehovah's love for His people. We notice, first of all, a love powerful to save. Secondly, a love seen in its profound silence. And thirdly, a love that rejoices in His people's salvation. Immediately, we find in our text that Jehovah's love is a love that's powerful to save. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. you remember how throughout the Old Testament, the promise had come to the people of God that the Messiah would come, who would deliver them. That Messiah would come from the line of David a descendant who should rule as the Savior of His people. But year after year had passed. Generation after generation had come and gone. And there was no indication of the fulfillment of that promise. That promise had been revealed in ever clearer light throughout the Old Testament. So that the prophet Isaiah had even given as a sign to the people of God, to King Ahaz specifically, he had announced that sign, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and would call his name Emmanuel. That is to say, God with us. He also prophesied that that Savior's salvation would reach up into Galilee of the nations into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Isaiah had prophesied that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there would be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, he would order it and establish it and with judgment and justice forever. But Zephaniah now never talks about a son of David who would establish the kingdom. It's not that he detracts from that promise, but he has a different emphasis, and he emphasizes something differently for a reason. You recall last week in reading chapter 1, Zephaniah had to proclaim the judgment "...of the Lord upon the princes, the sons of the kings, who themselves rejected the word of the Lord and made themselves ripe for judgment, the king's tree, that is the tree of his generations, was to be cut down with only a stump remaining in the ground. The situation would be seen as absolutely hopeless for for Israel's salvation. But Zephaniah now points to a mighty Savior. The people of God are to look for their Savior in Jehovah Himself. If you noticed in reading this chapter, the word Lord is capitalized throughout. Jehovah thy God. Jehovah your God is in your midst. That's the promise. God become flesh to save you. He will save. Yes, we see his power. We see it in all the judgments that he pours upon the fallen race. And when Zephaniah spoke these words of promise to the people of God he did so against that dark background of the judgments pro- proclaimed with all boldness that god would maintain his holiness upon a, among a wayward people none would escape of all his enemies but as i've said before let's clearly understand God does not reveal Himself as powerful in order to terrify His elect. He pronounces these judgments to testify to you who are His that He will save. Oh yes, it is true. We also must be called to repentance. Our sins continually rise up against us. But we who have been humbled by the power of God, His Word and His Spirit, are brought before the power of God, not in order that we might hide from Him, but that we might know Him as powerful to save. How beautifully does He reveal that to us in His Word. He leads His people Israel out of Egypt by the wonder work of his powerful and dreadful hand toward the wicked. But where did he lead his people, children? He didn't lead them the easiest way to the land of Canaan, did he? He didn't take them by the most direct route. Instead, the Lord led them southeast until they came dead in into the Red Sea the shores of the Red Sea, surrounded by mountains on their left and on their right hands, and following them hard and close was Pharaoh and his host. Why did God bring them there? He brought them there to show them that He alone will save His people by His powerful hand. Think of the salvation of the Philippian jailer recorded in Acts 16. What a wonder of God's sovereign grace. By the power of His own hand, He shook the earth. He sent an earthquake under that prison for the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his family. That jailer, had been chosen by God from eternity, though at that moment he didn't know that, nor did he yet believe. But if God has to turn the whole world upside down to save one of his elect, that's what he does. Powerful to save. He shows us by all the works of his hand that we may not question His ability to save. Though many kings have left the children of Israel without hope, yet there is one who will rule over them, bringing them salvation. Jehovah thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. And don't forget the revelation of this mighty power of God to save His people is exactly a revelation of His love. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He rejoices in the salvation of His people. What had these people done to deserve such great salvation? What have we done that this same promise should be fulfilled for us and proclaimed to us? Remember the Word of God in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which he, would, which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Jeremiah speaks of this as the everlasting love of the Lord for us with which he has drawn us by his love. Drawn us into his arms. Even though all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, he looks upon us in love, unconditional love, and exercises his power to save us. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. There's no ambiguity in the, in the prophet's speech. Those judgments of which Israel had made herself worthy by her great sins, had all been taken away. The King of Israel has come to save us. The God of our salvation. That's the glorious prophecy of Jehovah's love for His people. But now I call your attention to the profound silence with which that love, in which that love of God is seen. We go to the cross together in this text, beloved. I refer now to the expression that's translated with these words, He will rest in His love. I have in the margin of my Bible this alternate translation, He will be silent in His love. That's not to say that the King James translation is wrong, but the margin is correct when it explains what is meant by that rest in this text. We don't have the word rest here that is elsewhere translated in the Bible such as in the fourth commandment. The Lord rested on the seventh day from all His works. That's the Sabbath rest. When God enters into the enjoyment of His perfect work. But here, the idea is that of being quiet. One who rests does not speak. And so God here uses a human expression to demonstrate the greatness of His love. He will be silent. In his love. In that day it shall be said to the people of God, to the city of Jerusalem, fear not. Jehovah will be silent in his love for you. What does that mean? We have the advantage of interpreting this text in the light of New Testament scripture. You remember, this prophecy speaks of the coming day of the Lord. And that coming day of the Lord, you remember, is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and of darkness, a day of judgment, of wasteness, of desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, of clouds and of thick darkness. So we heard from Zephaniah 1 last week. It's the day when the Lord will not keep silent anymore. It's the day of His fierce anger. Do you understand then the beauty of the text before us? You know, you and I know that our sins mark us as no different from those who shall be the terrified recipients of God's just wrath in that great day of days. Our sins are many, and they're very real. And our sinful natures rise up to accuse us constantly so that we confess with the psalmist that if God should number our transgressions, there is none who could stand. Yet this text promises us that He will be silent toward us in His love. What is that great love that keeps Him from roaring against us into all eternity with the fury of His damning wrath? How can the Almighty God, Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel, be silent with respect to our sin? I say again, to answer those questions, we must walk to Calvary this morning where there gathered a multitude from every representative class of society and every segment of the church to observe three men hanging from crosses stuck in the ground at the place of the skull. Golgotha. And there we focus our attention on the central figure, the one hanging in the middle. The agonies that he was experiencing were incomprehensible. Because the man to whom our attention is drawn was not an ordinary man. He's the one Isaiah had prophesied would come. Emmanuel. God in the flesh but his appearance was indeed flesh. He was a man like we are men. There was one distinct difference. No one ever saw this man sin. And the wonders that he performed were unlike any that had been performed before him. And yet here he was, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, hanging on a cross. And while initially the multitude gathered there were all caught up in this party and mob atmosphere, mocking and jeering, laughing and cheering, taunting the man whom they had rejected. Suddenly at noontime a strange phenomenon took place which silenced the multitude. Almighty God sent darkness over the land. Darkness such as we have never experienced. Pitch darkness. The sign of separation from God. The horror of His wrath. Silence and horror surrounded the cross. For three hours, that seemed like three eternities, there was darkness and silence at the place of the skull. But that silence... Was not just the silence of the multitude shaken by this darkness, the measure of which they had never experienced. Jehovah, Jehovah God was silent. Do you understand? All that was heard from that hill at Golgotha was that startling cry of Jesus my God my God why hast thou forsaken me because in God's silence there descended upon Jesus his own beloved son all the burden of the wrath that we deserved The guilt of the world of God's good pleasure. Jehovah, our Jehovah, loved the world so much, He gave His only begotten Son to bear the punishment that could not be escaped. All the sin and guilt of God's church Your guilt and mine. All our sins brought upon Jesus the righteous judgment of God. That was perfectly just because God had so appointed it as the way of salvation for His people. Jesus, the Son of God, was made the head of the world of His elect So that when God in perfect judgment comes and demands all the righteousness of His law, Jesus has nothing to say but, I come to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, Thy law is within my heart. Jesus was the fulfillment of the scapegoat in the types and shadows of the Old Testament. You remember they would, they would lay upon that scapegoat, upon the head of that scapegoat, the sins of all the people. And he would be sent into the wilderness. The wilderness that symbolized hell. That's what Jesus did because of his love for the Father and those whom the Father had given him. And in that wilderness of hell, God is silent. Silent in His love. Do you believe the sins that you and I continue to commit, stumbling every day? Those sins cry out for God's wrath. But He's silent in His love. Because He looks upon us in Christ Jesus. He will not be silent when it comes to those who are outside of Christ. The unbelieving who reject Him, who harden their hearts to His Word, will find that God is far from silent. The Apostle Paul tells us that in the last day, The mouth of everyone shall be stopped and the whole world shall be found guilty before God and the Lord shall proclaim His judgment. Although for a time while in this world the wicked thought that God would be silent forever, He's silent no longer. But to you and to me who are in Christ Jesus, God will forever be silent with respect to our sins, they have been blotted out in Jesus' blood. Jehovah, silent in His love, love so great, it silences the everlasting wrath of God toward us who are in Christ Jesus. Meditate upon that, beloved, that wonderful gospel The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will be silent in his love. But while Jehovah is silent in his judgments toward his afflicted remnant, his elect church, his love is also such that it comes to expression in a joy unfathomable to us. Jehovah reveals in this text that His love is one that breaks forth in rejoicing when He sees His people saved. He will joy over thee with singing. I've read through Scripture many times in the course of my life. And have even preached on the singing of the church But it wasn't until I went to preach on this text that it struck me. Where have we ever read about God singing? That's an amazing element of this text. He will joy over thee with singing. Don't you find that amazing? Who would ever speak of God this way were it not in the Bible? Who would ever think of the Almighty, perfectly holy God looking upon us as those who fill his heart with such delight that he breaks forth into shouts of jubilation. It's amazing. Scripture says it. You know, Who can contemplate that voice of God singing? Singing over us with joy. That joy, you understand, is the joy over the work of His own hand. the joy over the work of Christ and His life in us. In Jesus Christ, He came to seek and save those who were lost. So God has chosen to glorify Himself by bestowing His love upon the people of His good pleasure. And let's also understand, the Lord speaks this way He speaks in such earthly terms, revealing to us His great love because we're not only prone by nature to unbelief, we are often exposed to the deceits of Satan and drawn away from this gospel of God's love. We live in the valley of the shadow of death, as did Zephaniah in the time of His prophecy. And to us it seems sometimes that God is silent, that, that He allows the wicked to get away with what they do. To get away with their deceit, their attacks upon us and upon the Gospel. We sometimes experience with the world the judgments of God that are poured out upon the world in His wrath. And very easily the devil would attempt to persuade us, God doesn't love you. Look at what you're suffering. Your service of Him is fruitless. And all the rest. Hear this Gospel. See the great love of God for His people. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. Though the church is still torn apart by sin, our lives often troubled with trials and sorrows, yet God is ever present with us in His only begotten Son, our Lord. His love for you is unfathomable. Beyond measure. I say you. Notice this text speaks very personally. Uh, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will joy over thee with singing. Over you over you. We mustn't simply speak in the abstract today about the love of God for sinners. We mustn't hear this Word of God in such a way that we leave here talking about God's love for the church, for Israel, for His people. This Gospel is proclaimed to you who are in Christ Jesus. Do you apprehend the reality of the truth that Jehovah loves you? That He rejoices over you? Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 62, verse 5, As the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Men, remember the day when your bride came down that aisle. How joy, joyful you were. Well, Jehovah looks at us with the love that makes our weddings but a faint picture. He calls us to that same love. And you know, you don't have to find anything in yourself as a reason for that love. You ought not say, I love my wife because she does this and is this and that. You love her. Christ loves us or nothing found in us. In His sovereign electing grace, Jehovah directs His fervent love toward undeserving sinners. He embraces you in such a way that you hear Him and call upon Him for your salvation and know yourself an object of His love. And He leaves you with the promise as well. The day is coming soon when you will be gathered at the great feast hall of the King, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And you shall be seen reflecting in all its glory the beauty of Christ. And the fellowship of Jehovah's love shall be your perfect enjoyment to the glory of Him who saved us. Believe it, beloved. And see also the seal of the sacrament upon this Gospel. Amen. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, when we stand before the revelation of Thy love for us, we hardly know what to say. Our sacrifices of thanksgiving seem so corrupt in the light of Thy brilliant holiness and grace. In love for us, O God, we pray that Thou wilt be silent with regard to our sins, casting not Thy judgments upon us, but seeing us in Christ Jesus, Thy Son, our Lord, we pray for grace that we might. Meditate upon thy word and take it to ourselves with joy of thanksgiving. Also as we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. For Jesus' sake, amen.